I'm not going to turn to read the Word of God in the New Testament. I'm going to read two short passages. First of all, in Paul's letter to Romans and chapter 13, I'm reading at verse 1. Romans 13, at verse 1, and down to verse number 7. Let us hear the word of God. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honour to whom honour is owed. Now we turn secondly to First Peter and chapter 2. And we're reading at verse number 11. First Peter 2 and at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honour everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the emperor. Amen is God's word and may bless to us these readings from it. So we turn to praise God from Psalm 62 and sing Psalms. It's on page number 80. Psalm 62 on page 80 and singing at verse 5. Find rest, my soul, in God alone, in whom my hope is ever sure, my safety fortress, sheltering rock, in whom I alone. I am secure. From verse 5 to verse 10 to God's praise.
together to 1 Peter and chapter 2 and we can read at verse 13. 1 Peter 2 and at verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And so on down to verse number 17. So I turn today to our study of First Peter and we are, we are doing so under the overall theme of the Christian's faithfulness to Christ in a hostile world. And we saw from the very beginning of the letter the way in which Peter is writing to those who were in modern day Turkey and those who felt as if they were exiles who were isolated from everything that belonged to God and wondered about their existence in the world as those who were suffering in it. And we saw the way in which Peter, from verse 3 onwards in chapter 1, sought to put their existence in the context of God's purposes and God's salvation, to give them that grounding and that base and that foundation for their life in the world. And that, of course, is important for ourselves that wherever we are, we understand who we belong to and why we belong to the Lord Jesus. Following on from that, at the end of chapter 1 and verse 13, he goes on to speak about the way in which those who have such a relationship with the Lord Jesus, with God through Christ Jesus, the way in which they should have a life that corresponds to that. Uh, At the very centre of that, there was... The whole idea of you shall be holy because I am holy and our very existence as the people of God on the foundation which is Christ Jesus is seen in the world by our behaviour, by the way in which we live our lives. 
And uh, the last Lord's Day that we uh, looked at the letter, we saw the wind, which Peter draws attention to the importance of the church and relationships within the church. So he is moving around with different aspects of teaching to address them where they were. And now as we come into this part of the letter, we are looking at the way in which Peter wants them to be faithful to the gospel in all of their social relationships and everyday living. And at this point in the letter, he becomes exceedingly practical, which is important for us. Life is based on our theology, but the way that we live our lives is practicing and walking the path that God has set for us. And so today I want to begin to look at this section and uh, to look at these verses from verse 13 to 17 and to look at uh, the Christian in relation to the public authorities. And just to give some more context to what Peter is saying here, Peter is writing at the time of Emperor Nero in Rome, sometime around between 37 and 68 AD. And Peter is someone who it is alleged was put to death under Nero's reign. And if you visit the Vatican in Rome, there is an image of Peter as he was crucified upside down during the persecution of Christians in Rome. And so when Peter is is writing this, he understands what persecution means. He understands what suffering means. And that puts what he is going to say in the kind of context which perhaps is alarming because of what he wants people to do. But that is the context. And we might think today that there is persecution of the Christian church and to a certain extent there is in the sense of being silenced. But that kind of persecution is not at the same level of the persecution that Peter was aware of that was growing in the Roman Empire and through which Nero put to death so many Christians in Rome after the great fire. So that's something of the context. And so, the Christian in relation to public authorities. What I notice, first of all, that we have compliance. We are bound to keep. And that's what we see from uh, verse number 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Who are the civil authorities? The way in which Peter speaks of them, they, they are human creations, they are human institutions. They, they are created by man. And that's the way in which he wants them to understand them. We read from the letter to Romans and we saw the way in which Paul is addressing the church in Rome and he is reminding them that all of these institutions are appointed by God. There is no one in that kind of position apart from the appointment of God. That remains true, but Peter wants to focus on the human aspect of these institutions because of the context in which he was writing and the place in which the people to whom he was writing actually lived. They are human institutions. And under these human institutions, we have 
two different parties that he refers to. And he refers, first of all, to the lawmaker. And wherever we are living, there is the lawmaker. And we read here, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. We think emperor, we think emperor of the Roman Empire, we think emperor Nero, we think Caesar, we think of that level of authority. They are the lawmakers. And what he is going to say has reference to the lawmaker. And when we think of the lawmaker, in many ways, the lawmaker is a step away from where everyday living takes place. He is the lawmaker, but he is at another level to where we live our everyday lives. And along with the lawmaker, we have the law enforcers. And they are the ones with whom we come in contact in everyday living. Or he says, to governors are sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. They are the governors, the law enforcers. And they are there for the very purpose of looking at the behaviour, looking at conformity to, to the laws that the lawmaker has put in place and punishing those who do evil and praising those who do good. And in the days of Peter, the, the praising those who do good, sometimes tokens were given to them because of their performance. They were praised in that sense. They were rewarded for doing good. But here we have human institutions, we have lawmakers, and we have law enforcers. And that describes life in our own world in general terms. We have human institutions, we have, we have governments that are, that are formed by, by humans, we have governments that are, that are manned by, by those who, who are fellow human beings, men and women elected to serve there. The, the laws are, are made at that kind of level and we live our lives confronted by situations where, where these laws are there to shape, to form, to to structure life in the society in which we live. And it is in that place that Peter wants them to comply, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. To be subordinate to, in simple terms, it means to take up the appropriate position under the passion of authority or rank. And it's an image that's taken uh, from the military context where all those who are in the army, in, in the group, where they take up their position under the commander, under the leader. That is the position allotted to them. That is the position that they must take as part of the organised army of the commander. They take up their position under him. They are responsible to him, responsible to others, and to live their lives in that way, following the commands and the direction of the commander. And when we read through the rest of the letter, we, we, we do see the way in which submission is not so much something that we do against our will. We see in chapter 3, for example, that Peter speaks about 
wives submitting to their husbands. And he uses Sarah and Abraham and the way in which she loved Abraham and submitted to him. That there is love and submission. There is a willingness, there's a, there's a heartfelt sense of commitment to what we are submitting to. It is loving obedience that's appropriate in any given relationship. And we understand, of course, how that works in a family, how it works in a marriage. But we are to take all of these things into the context of the way in which we are to comply to the rules and the laws that are put in place by those who are the lawmakers. And that's, that can often be a challenge for us. How do we as Christians respond to every law that's put in place on our own statute books? How do we respond when many of these laws are contrary to the law of God? We can't do the Max Lucado and ignore the sign. We can't just do our own thing. We have to recognize what the law of God says. And Peter understands that. He understands that the emperor is anti-Christian. He understands that the emperor will ultimately try and destroy the church of Christ. He understands that. And so when he asks for compliance, he qualifies that because he understands that where there are human institutions and where there are laws put in place, that that is a potential for conflict when it comes to the Christian believer. And that's why he, with the insertion of these small words after be subject, the words for the Lord's sake. And these three words in the Greek text are really important. For the Lord's sake, because of the Lord, on account of the fact that he is Lord, we can't read it like that. In other words, we have a duty because of our service to Christ, we have a duty to obey the laws of the land. According to our duty to him, we have a duty to the laws of the land. It can be according to, but it, it can also mean not only on the basis of, but when these human laws are in harmony with the law of God, then for the Lord's sake, because of that, we give obedience to them. But for the Lord's sake can also be understood to limit our compliance to the laws of the land when the laws of the land are directly against the laws of the word of God. Because ultimately, Christ is the lawgiver, Christ is the, the creator, and as Paul says in, in Colossians chapter 1, all thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities, they are all created by him and they are under him. He is over all things. And so our, our compliance is such 
that it is limited to the area where the laws of the land are in harmony with the law of God. And that, of course, is nothing new to us. And it's easy to understand that when we're distanced from that kind of situation. But when we come into that kind of situation and we find things are sometimes in conflict with the law of God, what should we then do? Is the Bible telling us that we should break the law of the land because unless we do that, we are breaking the law of God? Then that's the level at which the Bible is speaking. We cannot compromise our devotion to God, our devotion to, to the laws of God, and we, we understand something of, of what Jesus says in, in a, an earlier discussion with um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those around him with regard to, to Caesar. Should they pay taxes? Give it to Caesar what is due to Caesar. Give to God the things that are God's. And when these things work together, that's so straightforward. But when there is conflict, I cannot give to Caesar the things that belong to God. I cannot stroke off this aspect of my devotion to, to my Saviour and to the law of God in order to accommodate and in order to comply with the law of the land. And I see Daniel in Babylon in a place of conflict, exiled from his homeland, somebody who was devoted to his God and somebody who adopted the life of Babylon, the lifestyle of Babylon, until such time as, for example, the lawmaker said, you shall not pray. It was illegal to pray. And anybody who did pray would be put to death. And that was the area of conflict. And that is where Daniel would not compromise. But instead, he went as he always did. He opened his window and he, and he prayed towards Jerusalem. He did that as he regularly did. Nobody was going to force Daniel to break the law of God for the sake of the law of Babylon. Compliance. It is complete compliance until compliance means compromising the law of God. Until compliance means conflict. And at that stage my compliance has reached its limits because I cannot compromise my commitment and my compliance to the law of God. Compliance. Secondly, we have a commission. What does that then mean? What does God want us to do? What does Christ want the Christian to do? We see in verse number 15, begins with another small word, for this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish 
people. The commission has divine authority. This is the will of God. It is the law of God. But it is more than simply the law of God. Because when we read the Bible, the will of God is about the purpose of God. I hear Jesus saying that he has come to do the will of his Father. I hear Jesus saying in the Garden of Gethsemane, Not my will, but you should be done. I hear Peter saying in Acts chapter 2 that in accordance with the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, the plan of God, Jesus was crucified. I hear Paul saying in Romans chapter 8 that we are called and justified and glorified according to the purpose of God's will. The will of God speaks about his purpose for his people in the world and the way in which his purpose is fulfilled. The will of God. And when we come to look at how we as Christians are to live in, in, in a secular society, we do so as those who, who live in the will of God and understand that in the purposes of God, not only does he want us to behave in a particular way, but in his purpose and plan at this time, this is the context in which we find ourselves the commission that comes because of God's purposes and plans and of course the overrider of all of that is that we never think that that God is out of control that no matter how dark things get as they did in the days of Emperor Nero no matter how dark they become God remains in control Commission to do what? What are they to do then in such a situation? That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It seems pretty simple that we do good. How does a Christian do good? And of course, we can understand the good to be a life that has lived consistent with the word of God and a life that is complete in the sense that it, it corresponds to what God requires, the good that God requires. God has a plan and it is a purpose and God sees that his plan is good so my life is good when I fit into that plan and in God's estimation it is good. And from that point of view I can think of doing good as keeping the law of God being obedient to God's commands and faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I can do that in a very private way. And it is not that kind of good that Peter is referring to here. He is speaking about doing good that's very much a public thing. And the doing good that is a public thing, it is the doing is doing the good of benevolence and social responsibility and being involved in the life of the community in such a way as to make a contribution to that community. I can live a good life in devotion to the Lord and do nothing for the society in which I live. But Peter is saying that is not enough in my compliance and in my submission 
qualified as it is, I am called upon, I am commissioned by God to be a doer of good. To be out there doing things that impact upon the lives of other people. That impact upon their lives for their good. And there are so many ways in which you and I can be involved in in that whole area. Yes, it speaks about about social responsibility. But what do we do in in the public square where, where the law of the land impacts upon us? How can we contribute to the political process? How can we contribute to that nationally and locally? How can we be doers of good in the way in which Peter requires us to do here? And if we understand that that the whole concept of, of doing good is for the benefit of others, our call as the people of God goes beyond simply objecting to the things that are contrary to the law of God. It takes us into the area where we are asked to make a contribution. And perhaps that contribution is the contribution that will bring about the change But our duty, our commission as the people of God is to make the contribution. And we can make it in the area of the the lawmaker. We can make it in the area of of the law enforcer. We can make it across society. We can make these contributions that are for other people's good. And when we do that, according to what Peter is saying here, that has a huge impact on the world in which we live. It puts to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It makes them speechless. It's muscling a beast's mouth. That's the idea that's behind it. It's putting people in a place where They are dumb and speechless and they have nothing more to say. And these are the very people that we read of in verse number 12 where Peter is saying, Keep your conduct honourable among the Gentiles so that when they speak against you as evildoers they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. If society sees the Christian good that Christians are engaged in. Peter is saying to us that that in itself will silence the voices of those foolish, ignorant people, ignorant in the sense of not knowing God and not understanding what Christianity is about, that it has the impact of silencing these very people. And we can see that from time to time. Some consultations, some engagements that have taken place with regard to to the lawmakers and the right kind of approach and behaviour to that, the public square is the way in which respect is not just gained but perhaps restored for the Christian faith because there is that ability to engage, to do good at that level. The impact that we can have And so today we are called upon not just to comply, we are also commissioned 
to make a difference with good Christian behavior, with good Christian witness. And the promise that just as Stanier found in Babylon, God honored him to the extent that even the king's own heart was changed with, with the impact that Daniel had on, on the whole of the, the lifestyle of Babylon. Commissioned to do good. And what an impact we, we can make together locally and across our communities and across our nation if, if we are so engaged in this way and, and so understanding we are commissioned by Christ our Saviour to be the doers of good, to be the benevolent ones that, that make the difference and that speak the light and the life of Christ himself who was the great one who did good. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The compliance, the commission, and finally, correction. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Live as people who are free. The Christian, of course, is free. Christ himself has, has set us free. Peter, uh, Paul tells the church in Galatia to, to enjoy the freedom with which Christ has set them free. And Jesus himself says in John chapter 8, If the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. We have freedom in Christ. We are set free from slavery to sin. We are set free from the condemnation of the law. We are set free from all of these things because of the way in which Christ died on the cross. He has redeemed us from all of these things and given us our freedom. We have freedom. But the correction comes because of the way in which there were those who were implying and who were saying that because they were Christians, that they were free from being asked to keep the law of the land. That's where the correction comes. It comes in the very area of the conflict between the Christian and society. And we have here the, the sense of not using your freedom as a cover-up for sin. And that basically means that because they are Christians, they are so set free from the law that the law of God has nothing more to say to them. And that can be understood and is understood in other parts of the New Testament to mean that there are Christians and they just abandon the law and because of their freedom they just live as they please. We see it in 1 Corinthians 5. We see it in other parts of the Bible. The way in which Christians do as they please in society. They have turned away from the law of God and think that to be free is to be free from the law of God. Antinomianism, it is leaving the law of God behind and life without it. But again, I think here what Peter is saying is 
using your freedom as a cover-up for evil is, is using your freedom to claim that you are not bound to keep any of the laws of the emperor or of his governorship. The freedom is not that kind of freedom that we can misunderstand our freedom in Christ to the extent that we abandon the law of God and we also abandon the laws of the land. And there is always a challenge in that area. What, where does the, the law of the land impact? And where does the law of God impact? And what should we do? And Peter is suggesting to us that what we should not do is ignore the law, wherever it is. Ignore the law of God and ignore the law of the land. There is no place for ignoring the law, with the one exception, when the law of the land is in direct conflict with the law of God. And so today, as we think of our own lives as those who are to live as the people of God in relation to the civil authorities, let's remind ourselves that Christ requires us to comply and that the only exception is when the law of the land is against his own land. Let's remember that we are commissioned to be doers of good, commissioned to work to make a difference. And thirdly, let's remember always the correction. These kind of things can slip into our personal lives, can slip into our public lives, that, that the law of God and the law of the land, we don't need to comply with that. We're required by Christ to be the good witnesses in our relationships with society, in our relationships with each other, and in relationships to God's law around us. And in that way we will learn, and as we know, as society changes, all of these things present us with, with great challenges and things that come very close to the very essence of our faith and interfere with the essence of our faith. And at that level, we, we have to be prepared by the grace of God and the grace of Christ to defend the law of God and to do so in a way that is honouring to God in accordance with our commission. And in that way, what we do and say will be effective because it is in accordance with the way in which God has called us in his word. So may God bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. Gracious God, we do rejoice in you as the great lawmaker and the great lawgiver. We are thankful to you that you have given to us your laws which are for our good spiritually and socially and in every aspect and area of life. Help us to love your law. Help us to love your truth. Help us to understand it better and help us to understand it so that we may be able to assess all that takes place around us in life and be able to recognize whether it is departure from your laws and give to us grace and strength in our hearts day by day to remain loyal to you and not to compromise on your truth, on your law, in whatever context we find ourselves laboring in. So what your submission and hear our prayer and bless your word to us. Well, we ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.
Holy Psalm is Psalm number 26 from the Scottish Psalter. It's on page 235. And we're singing at verse number 8. 8 to 12, Psalm 26, on page 235. The habitations of the house, Lord, I have loved well. Yea, in that place I do delight, where doth thine honour dwell. From verse 8 to verse 12, to God's praise.